start my, my sermon this morning by reading to you a list of food, and, and I realize we're right before lunch, and so I get it, but, but I want to I read you this list of food. Uh, biscuits and gravy, bacon, pulled pork, sweet and sour chicken, oatmeal, fried chicken, frozen pizza, pancakes, scrambled eggs, hot dog, uh, cheeseburger pie, meatball sub, sandwich, stromboli, goulash, French toast, bacon, meatloaf, cereal, steak, and I realize I mentioned bacon twice there, but it's that good, so (laughs) why not? Uh, and, And there's more, coffee cake, French fries, coleslaw, fried rice, spring roll, donut holes, sun chips, Pringles, muffin, chips and salsa, donut, garlic bread, scallop potatoes, mashed potatoes, salad, green beans, carrots, cauliflower, cucumbers, corn, blueberries, strawberries, grapes, bananas, cantaloupe, raspberries, apples, applesauce, watermelon, caramel corn, chipwich, veggie straws, cookie, Chex Mix, animal crackers, oatmeal cream pie, popcorn, and scotcheroos. That's a long list of food. And if you're curious, that's a list of food of everything I've eaten over the past week. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize how vulnerable it would make me feel until I was reading it. <laughs> um, and it probably makes me look like a glutton to, to read all of that, but I promise you that is just kind of a normal week of food, all right? Um, when Megan knew I was doing this, she wanted to make sure that I wasn't including her in this. This is what I've eaten over the past week. But do you want to know something else? Even though I ate all of that food last week, I'm hungry right now. And you might be too after, after I read that. Our bodies work in such a way that even if I were to, at a particular meal, just eat way too much food to the point where I feel sick, it's not going to be all that long before my body tells me that I'm hungry again. This desire, this never-ending desire for food is one that's going to be with me until the day I die. And it's a desire that has to be filled or else the day that I die is going to come along a little more quickly than it would have otherwise. But we all know this, right? We know this about our bodies. We know this about our desire for food. We, we, we learn this from an early age. I'm not breaking any intellectual ground this morning. The reason I bring it up is because Jesus used this common human desire and experience to teach us about himself. And he used it to teach us about an even deeper desire within ourselves, one that, that's, <clears throat> that's even more important than hunger for physical food. So our, our time this morning will be spent in John chapter 6. I would encourage you to open your Bibles to there, pull it up on your phone, Um, It's page 891 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to look there. We're going to work our way through the passage starting in verse 25 of John chapter 6, but but I want to first set the scene by by drawing our attention to what took place 
at the beginning of the chapter, before verse 25. So, so at the beginning of chapter 6, it's just about the Passover. So that's where, they're at, that's where it takes place in, in terms of the calendar. It's just before the Passover. That's the feast where the Jews remembered and celebrated God's work through Moses of setting the people free from their slavery in Egypt. Now, during Jesus' ministry, he, he had been gaining recognition up to this point. He was gaining recognition because of his teachings, because of his healings. And, and on, on that particular day, a large crowd gathered. 5,000 men alone, we're told. And it was nearing the end of the day. Now, now in our context, where food is generally accessible to us, we probably don't quite grasp the situation that was developing there. A, a crowd of thousands had gathered in a remote place and potentially hadn't had much to eat that day. Maybe they ate this morning before they, that morning before they got there, but um, feeding them was, was going to be no small undertaking. It was a hungry crowd and it was a big task. That's why when Jesus miraculously took five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied them in such a way that, that each person didn't just get a bite, but had eaten and had their fill, as the text says, that, that was a noteworthy event. That, that was something substantial. It was an event that, that caused the people in verse 14 to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, now, that's a loaded statement. That's a very loaded statement that the people are making there. During the Passover season, where, where the work of God through Moses was at the forefront of everyone's mind, the crowd was referencing a prophecy made by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so let me... Let me read these very famous words to you. This is Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Again, Moses speaking, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And he continues on. But, but the point is that Moses prophesied that there was this prophet who would come after him, one who would be like him. Now, now by the time Jesus walked the earth, that prophecy had become a well-known beacon of hope for the nation of Israel. Uh, the people came to expect that this Moses-like figure would come and would set them free from their present oppressors, just like Moses had done with the Egyptians. And so when, when Jesus performed the incredible miracle with the bread and the fish, in conjunction with his teachings and the other, uh, the, the healings that he'd been doing, they rightly assumed that this prophet had come. And then that's what they proclaimed. This is indeed the prophet. And so, uh, well, you know, you think about what they were expecting, right? Uh, what, what they were expecting as far as what that prophet would look like, they, they had some specific things in mind. What they're going to find out is that their, their understanding of the, the, the purpose and the nature of that prophet is a little bit incorrect, and, and we'll see that as we go, but, but they are identifying him as this prophet. 
And so as the story goes on, the, um, uh, after that miracle with the loaves and the fish, Jesus sends his disciples um, across the Sea of Galilee back to the town of Capernaum. That was Jesus' home base. Um, Jesus himself stayed behind to pray. But then during the night, that's when Jesus walked out on the water, met the disciples at the boat, and then, and then uh, once he got into the boat, John says they instantly arrived at their destination. They instantly arrived at Capernaum. Well, all the people who had been miraculously fed woke up the next morning and couldn't find Jesus. Now, they knew only one boat had left. They knew Jesus wasn't in it. So they were, they were confused about what happened, but they, they made their way to Capernaum. They thought, well, that's his home base. I guess we'll go look there. So they make their way to Capernaum. They find Jesus, and then the following interaction that we're going to read about takes place. So remember, this is the day after the feeding of the large crowd. So follow along with me in John chapter 6, verse 25. It says, when they, when the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Valid question, right? Jesus didn't get into the boat, so they're, they're wondering, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill, <clears throat> excuse me, of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So so when the crowd tracked Jesus down, they still had physical food on their minds. Remember, I mean, even after overstuffing ourselves at a large meal, we often wake up the next day and experience physical hunger all over again. So that, that miracle with the loaves and the fishes, that was all yesterday. They're hungry again. Why wouldn't they search out this man who multiplies food with incredible ease? Makes sense, right? I'm hungry. <laughs> Jesus did something pretty good yesterday. Let's go find him. Jesus, however wants to take the conversation in a different direction. So rather than getting caught up in this endless cycle of eating, hunger, eating, hunger, eating, hunger, Jesus wants to talk about spiritual hunger. He brings to the crowd's attention something even greater than physical food, which is food that perishes, he says. Jesus began talking about food that endures to eternal life. Now, now a reader of John's gospel who, who started at the beginning would be having deja vu right now. Because it was only back in chapter 4 that Jesus went to a well and he had a conversation with a woman about physical water and then used that context to transition into talking about living water. It was this living water, Jesus said, that that would well up to eternal life. So in many ways, this scene with the crowd here is part two of that previous conversation. The main difference is food has been substituted for water, and, and instead of a single woman, Jesus is now speaking with a crowd. But what, what Jesus rightly points out is that 
that our spiritual needs are greater than our physical needs. Now, please hear me. I, neither I nor, nor Jesus in this passage are saying that physical needs are not important. Okay, Jesus physically fed this crowd the day before because that was, that was an important need that they had. Jesus healed the paralytic's legs, for example, before forgiving his sins. Jesus performed numerous physical healings, and so physical needs do matter. But they must be kept in, proper, in, in their proper place when compared to our deeper spiritual needs. And, you know, when you look throughout history, the, the church throughout history has had some struggles with this dynamic. At times, the focus was solely upon proclaiming the gospel to the neglect of physical needs. And James, in, in his letter, condemns this kind of work. It's like, he says it's like saying to a hungry person, well, well, go in peace, be warm and filled, but then you know, don't know anything about it, right? The church has, has done that at times throughout history. But at other times, the, the focus has solely been upon meeting physical needs to the neglect of spiritual needs. And all that does is make a person physically healthier and more comfortable on the road to eternal punishment and separation from God. So there's a balance that has to be struck, and, and, and oftentimes that balance is seen in first meeting the physical needs, followed by highlighting and then meeting the deeper spiritual needs that we have. And so as followers of Jesus, I think there's a good example that he sets for us here. We must follow his example in meeting both kinds of needs in connection with each other. And, and the meeting of physical needs is, is a, a loving response which, which may and which we, we pray does open a door to meeting those spiritual needs. Jesus was seeking to speak to those who, because of what happened the day before, maybe had an open door regarding their spiritual needs. Now, I have to remember that, that just the previous evening, this, this crowd had, had considered Jesus to be the foretold Moses-like prophet who would come. And since Jesus mentioned doing the works of God, they, they took the opportunity to ask him about it. So look with me at verse 30, picking it up again. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. See, they're thinking back to Moses with the manna. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So, so again, at, at, this point, at this point, the people still see Moses as superior to Jesus. And that, that might seem crazy, right? We might ask, how in the world would they see Moses as superior to Jesus? I mean, especially after what took place the day before when Jesus fed the crowd, 5,000. Well, yeah, Jesus fed a crowd of thousands for one meal, 
That's pretty impressive, right? But Moses fed a crowd of millions for 40 years through the manna that came down from heaven. At least that's how they viewed it. It was Moses through him that the manna came. So we can see why you know, Jesus has a few more meals to provide, right, before he gets to that kind of a level. But even though the people are, are again, they're, they're still looking at it from their, own, from their physical hunger. That's still their focus. And, and Jesus keeps trying to open their eyes to their spiritual hunger. He says that God gives true bread from heaven. Even going back to the manna, it wasn't Moses, Jesus says. It wasn't Moses that gave you the manna. That was God that supplied that physical bread for you. And he says, and what Jesus says then is it's God who's giving you this bread from heaven now. And, and again, right, it's, it's, it's deja vu with, with, uh, with the woman at the well. When, when Jesus started talking with her about the water of life, she thought of it as physical water, which she could obtain and never have to go back to that, that physical well ever again. And when Jesus talks about the bread of God, the people thought of it as physical bread that they could obtain and never have to worry about food ever again, right? I mean, they're still thinking in that way. And it's at this point that Jesus even more overtly highlights their spiritual needs and his ability to meet those needs. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So even more than, than physical bread that would sustain physical life for just a short time, Jesus speaks to each person's need for spiritual bread that would sustain spiritual life for eternity, as he says eternal life. Jesus himself is that bread which brings eternal life. He has come down from heaven that all who the Father has called would come to him and believe in him and have that eternal life. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he is sufficient for eternal life for all who believe in him. Now when it comes to when it comes to physical food, if we can go back to physical food for a moment, not everyone responds to every type of physical food identically. And this is what, you know, I mean, some people have various food allergies, right? Uh, some people are on low-sodium diets. Some people are on low-carb diets. Some people are on high-fiber diets or, or high-iron diets. And, and, and the reason for this is, is our... Our various physical bodies all have different needs which require different types of food to be truly beneficial. And it kind of makes me wonder about the, the miracle the previous day. Did, did anyone in that crowd have a, like a gluten allergy or a bread or fish allergy when Jesus, you know, and 
Could they participate? Did, did that just not matter for that? I don't know, like just things you wonder sometimes, right? But, but different food reacts differently for all of us. I mean, that, that's the point here. But, but getting back to the bread of life, all who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. The bread of life is sufficient to meet the spiritual hunger of all who receive him. Doesn't matter the person. Maybe said another way, not a single person eats the bread of life and discovers that it is insufficient to meet their needs. Not one person. Which would include you and me, right? We're, you're all in that. So, if you're here today, if you're doubting whether Jesus is truly able to satisfy your deepest needs, I would encourage you to receive him and see. Find out. Look to him. Trust in him. And, and I'm confident that, that you'll find him sufficient for each and every need you have. And that's a bold statement, right? I mean, Aaron, man, you don't know some of the, you don't know some of what I've gone through, the needs I face. Jesus is saying that all who come to him, that he is sufficient for them. He'll fill you in a way that no physical food or no other physical thing or no other person ever can. Jesus alone is sufficient in that way. But how, how can that be? How can he do that? Right? Well, well, Jesus is God himself. Look with me at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So at the beginning of that passage there, as was sometimes the struggle for people who walked and talked with Jesus, the, the crowd had trouble grasping how, how Joseph's boy could come down from heaven. I mean, this little Jesus, right? I mean, they think back on, on you know, they, they saw him grow up. I mean, how... It didn't make sense to them how Jesus could make this claim that he came down from heaven. And Jesus went on to say that it all comes down to their faith that is given to them by God the Father. It's their faith that what he says is true. I mean, the, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth, the, the hypostatic union of, of divinity and humanity within the person of Jesus, the, None of that makes logical sense to us. That's why it requires faith to trust in something that, that we just can't fully explain in our own knowledge. You think about the people in Moses' time. They didn't understand the manna that fell in the wilderness. 
right? They didn't know why for six days it would spoil after 24 hours, but then on the Sabbath, it lasted for 48 hours. They, they didn't know why that happened, but, but they came to trust the manna. Even though they couldn't explain it, they trusted it for 40 years, and they were sustained by the nourishment that it provided for 40 years in the desert. But that generation which feasted on manna, which they couldn't understand, still died. They still died. That physical bread, even though it, was, it fell from heaven and even though the people trusted it, was not the bread of life which a person eats and subsequently lives forever. And G- what Jesus is saying is, that I am that bread of life. I am the bread of life. He, he, he gives himself fully that we might receive eternal life. For those who do place their faith in Jesus, those who trust him, even though they, they still have questions and don't fully understand at all, they're given eternal life. They, they will live forever because they've received the bread of life. Jesus himself is that spiritual food which meets our needs and I think increases our appetite all at the same time. Look at, look at what he goes on and says uh, in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So two things in this passage. First, the people couldn't get past the physical food aspect. And and, and when Jesus starts talking about his flesh being true food and his blood being true drink, they, they can't picture anything other than cannibalism at that point. They're stuck on that. But but it's not about eating physical flesh. It's not what Jesus is talking about. It's about the real and effective sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross when his physical flesh was broken and his physical blood was poured out. We, we feed on the reality of his sacrifice for us, a reality that was secured by the Son of God becoming human, being made flesh. So it's not about the nutrients that Jesus' physical body might provide for our physical body. It's about the spiritual nourishment which, which Jesus' death provides for our spiritual hunger. I, you know, in all of this, I, I don't want to venture into Gnostic waters where I come across as saying, well, physical is bad, that's all bad, the spiritual is the only thing that's good. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Instead, what, what he, he's leading the crowd to look deeper within themselves. Look past their physical needs to see their spiritual needs. The, the intent is not that they would see themselves only as spiritual. It's about recognizing the spiritual along with the physical needs. 
Jesus met their physical hunger the day before. Now it was time for him to talk about meeting their spiritual hunger as they feast on the bread of life. And the other thing to take note of in this passage is it it strikes me the continual, the way in which Jesus describes this continual feasting, this continual process of feeding on his, his body and his blood. And in this way, it is a bit like physical food. We eat a meal, but then we find ourselves right back at the same table a few hours later, hungry once again, don't we? Likewise, feasting on the bread of life is meant to be a recurring thing. Four times in the passage, Jesus talks about feeding on him in a continual sense. It's never meant to be a one and done type of thing. It's never meant to be praying a prayer and now I've got my fire insurance so I'm, I'm good to go. It's not, about, it's not about attending church on Sunday and then just forgetting about Jesus for the rest of the week. I mean, that, that, that would be like eating a meal for lunch today, walking away from the table and expecting it to sustain you until lunchtime next Sunday. We don't do that. (laughs) We know that physically we need food throughout the week. Well, spiritually, we need to continually feed on Jesus as well, every day. A good question to ask, for us to ask ourselves is, uh, how are we doing in that? Are, Are we feeding on Jesus regularly? If we're not, and if we have this consistent sense of a lack of satisfaction within ourselves, I propose to you the, the cause may be a lack of feeding on Jesus. Maybe recognizing that spiritual hunger which, is, which we're not filling by feeding on Jesus, allowing him to meet that need. Feeding on Jesus is continuously looking to him to meet our needs. And it's something that, that we do have to do daily, moment by moment. You know, as I, uh, as I said at the beginning, when we were looking at the background for this, um, this passage, the whole conversation took place when Passover was near. And it, w- it would be one year after this point, exactly one year later, when, when Jesus would sit in an upper room with his disciples on the Passover. And it would be at that time that, that Jesus would change this regular Passover meal into something which confirmed himself as the center of the meal. In that upper room, Jesus took the bread and the cup and and he connected them with his body and his blood. And then in remembrance of him and his sacrifice on the cross, the followers of Jesus were to regularly participate in that communion meal. It was a physical representation of what it meant to spiritually feed on Jesus. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record in detail this transformation of the Passover meal into the communion meal. They, they highlight the change of focus away from what happened through Moses and toward what was happening 
through Jesus. What fascinates me is that John tells us nothing about that specific act during the Last Supper. He doesn't say anything about that. Now, John tells us about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, which we don't get um, from any of the other Gospels. John tells us about himself leaning back on, on Jesus and asking about the one who would betray him. We don't get that anywhere else. But, but John is completely silent about the bread and the cup at the Last Supper. And, and, and while I've wondered about that before, it, it finally hit me this time that perhaps John didn't cover those details then because he already wrote about what took place a year before. He already talked about it. Right? Even, even though in John chapter 6, Jesus is not yet in the upper room with, with bread and cup in his hand, he's already talking about feeding on him for eternal life. He's already connecting his flesh and his blood with eternal life. And as is common in John's gospel, it seems that he's giving us the same theology, just, just in a different light from the other gospel writers. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John does tell us as well that not all who heard this teaching from Jesus accepted it. Not everyone chooses to feed on Jesus. Judas is mentioned, but, but there were many others who, who walked away as well. Let me, let me finish out chapter 6 for us starting in verse 60. When many of his disciples, and this isn't just the 12 right now, this is the, the, the larger group. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I'll have the elders come forward as we get ready for communion. You know, many turned back and, and no longer followed Jesus after this teaching. Jesus offered to meet their deepest needs, and they rejected it. And it strikes me, you know, if Jesus had offered them another physical meal, they probably would have taken it, and they probably would have kept following, following him. But when Jesus offered himself, when he offered to meet that deeper need, they weren't interested. Wow, man, 
That's hard to read, isn't it? It's hard to think about. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, what are you and I looking for today? What are we looking for? Are we looking for Jesus to meet every one of our physical desires in the way which we think he should meet them? Is that what we're looking for? And if so, there might be times where Jesus does meet those needs in the way that we think he should, really want him to. But there will probably be times where he uses that physical desire which we have to open our eyes to a deeper spiritual need. And when he offers himself as the bread of life that will meet that deep spiritual need, will you and I receive him? Will we receive him? And receive him not just in that initial moment of salvation, but receive him daily as the only one who can truly meet our deepest needs. You know, I, I think we can look to the table for a, for a real practical example of this. If, if the bread and the juice this morning are nothing more than physical food and drink for you, you're going to be left wanting. You just will. It, it, it might, you, you might find your physical hunger slightly alleviated, but it will be very temporary. But if the bread and the juice this morning represent feeding on the flesh and blood of Jesus, feeding on the bread of life himself, then you will find your deepest needs met at this table. If it's just physical, it's going to come up short. But if, if it's feasting on Jesus, then it's everything. It's everything that we need. If, if you've never come to Jesus to receive him in that way, I joyfully urge you to do so here and now this morning. If, if you've worked all your life for things that, that perish and don't endure to eternal life, if you, if you just sense that, that there's just not that satisfaction within you, then I want to let you know you've found it this morning. You've, you can find it in Jesus the searching can end through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Your sins can be taken away. You can be redeemed and given eternal life. And the promise is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have that eternal life. Everyone who feeds on Jesus will find their deepest needs met. So may this physical act this morning be representative of what we do each and every day. Feeding on Jesus, feeding on the bread of life, and finding that those deepest needs within us are truly satisfied in him. So let's do that together now.